welcome to the Success in Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Rajani Kata, and I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Ryan Downey on this episode. So Dr. Downey is a, uh, well, he has a PhD in cognitive neuroscience with a focus on language. And one of the reasons that I was really interested in bringing him on the podcast today is because I think he has a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share in the area of test performance. So Dr. Downey is the founder of MD2B Diagnostics, and he is essentially a test performance coach. And one of the case studies that I thought would be great to discuss today, Dr. Downey, is about one of your students, who I'm going to call David, and how he went from, you know, about a 209 to way more than that. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about David's case? And then I'm gonna ask you a lot more questions after that. Sure, absolutely. And thank you for having me here. Um, David came to us, he was an international medical graduate, um, came to us after struggling with his step two preparation. This is a person who was in the 99th percentiles uh, for his MCAT, for his SAT in, in uh, getting into college. And he did well in medical school. But when it came to the standardized exams, something was different. And he was struggling to understand what wasn't working um, that had been working in the past. And so we started working with David. This is Dr. Desai and I. Um, and we walked David through our diagnostic intake assessment, which is the first step in the work that we do with clients. And that tool, that instrument is able to give us lots of information. It's basically a deep dive into all of the different aspects of the client uh, to help us understand what they might be, what they might need help with, what they might be struggling with. And so, um, as a result of the DIA, we looked at David's responses and we found that this, this is a very smart person, very intelligent, able to understand most of the material and the subject matter. But when it came to applying his knowledge on the step two um, self-assessments and the practice exams, he was struggling. And so we understood that he had um, gotten by on memorization, doing a very good job of, of memorizing things. But as, as we all know, in medical school, there's just a lot of information. And in order to be able to answer the kinds of questions that you get on the USMLE Step 2 uh, CK, you need to apply clinical reasoning. And so for David, we found he wasn't using the active learning strategies that we would recommend that really help you internalize, not just memorize, but internalize the knowledge. Okay. And then he also needed a little bit of help with his clinical reasoning. Diagnostic reasoning is not something that is taught uh, explicitly in many medical schools. And so we found that David had the knowledge, he just wasn't aware of how to deploy it properly as he was doing his uh, step two questions. So in, the, in working with David, we were able to get him from a 208 on his um, CCSSA uh, to a 260 on the step two CK when he finally took the exam. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And Dr. Downey, this is not a 260 on a practice exam. This is the actual step two exam. On the real deal. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic, uh, especially to start from that starting point. Um, and I know this must have been a multi-step process, but when you started, did you think that he was going to be able to raise his score to that level? Well, we knew from the very beginning that like most of our clients, David was very bright, very intelligent, and we didn't quite know at the very beginning how much he knew. And so that's where our process comes in. That's where the DIA comes in and our, our second consultation that we have with clients where we evaluate their clinical reasoning skills. We knew that he had potential, um, and but I'll be honest, that, that was a very, very uh, positive result all around. We were very pleased and we knew he could do it. It was just wonderful to see it uh, actually happen for him. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Now, uh, you know, and I'm thinking the other question I would, if I was listening to this, the other question I would ask is, is this an isolated case? Um, are you able to tell me about any of your other clients? Um, you know, maybe another case study. Absolutely. It is not an isolated case. Okay, the, good. We have another, uh, another client that comes to mind. Um, she was a, a practicing physician in her home country. Um, she was, again, struggling with the, the work-life study balance as she was preparing for her exams. And um, when she contacted us, she only had about three months to go um, before her scheduled step two CK, and she was struggling uh, in the low 200s. And oh. so it took us a little while to arrange the, the DIA and to do the consultations. But by the time we went through the second consultation with her, um, from that point forward, we, in seven weeks, she was able to move, uh, move the needle from about a 211 on her NVME to a 251 uh, on the real deal. On the, on real, the real deal. deal again. Yep, that's right. Wow. I mean, I'm approaching this from the standpoint of, um, I'm approaching this from the standpoint of the residency match success. So as the author of the successful match, we talk about, uh, I'm an interview expert. So I talk a lot about the interview, um, how to prepare for the interview, how to succeed on the interview. But unfortunately, as you and I both know, you have to get to that interview stage. And right. this is, you know, and whether or not I agree with it, this is, you know, my job is to present the information to our applicants and to tell them what the real world is, you know, the, what is the real world of residency matching at this point in time? And the fact is we have way more applicants than we do residency positions at this moment. And so a lot of residency programs have those filters. And um, I know a lot of dermatology programs have filters, a number of residency programs in all different specialties, whether you're talking about family medicine, internal medicine, psychiatry, a number of programs are going to use filters. And so that's one of the reasons the step two exam is so incredibly important. You've got to get past that filter. Um, and so to be able to get a 251, a 262, um, those are going to get past every filter, uh, numbers like that. That's high enough that you know you're going to be past the filter. Um, Dr. Downey, I, I want to learn a little bit more about your assessment and your techniques. But to begin with, how what is your background and why did you decide to start 
to co-found MD2B Diagnostic, where you're working with students as a test performance coach. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Thank you so much for asking. I will, um, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my background, my educational background, but more about my assessment background. So I did earn my PhD in language and commun communicative disorders, um, which is a joint doctoral program offered by UC San Diego and San Diego State University. Um, after I graduated, I began working at a company that used technology, machine learning and artificial intelligence to score spoken language performances. So basically English and Spanish and Arabic language, spoken language testing. And that became my, um, my initial introduction to assessment, performance assessment, educational assessment. And so from that point forward, since 2007, I worked at educational assessment companies, some of the biggest in the world, Pearson uh, being one of them. I also worked at Rosetta Stone. Um, and the, what I kept coming back to in, in building assessments was there is a piece of knowledge, there is a skill, there is a competency that we want to evaluate. And there are many, many obstacles in the way of you being able to demonstrate the things that you know and the things that you can do. So how can we make an assessment that removes those obstacles? How can we make an assessment that is more, uh, ha has more potential to show what you know? Um, and so that background uh, for about 15 years, I worked in uh, assessment companies, building assessments, understanding the cognitive mechanisms required to respond to questions on different types of assessments. And so that is the philosophy that I bring to MD2B Diagnostic. I want to help people understand what obstacles are in their way as they are taking this very important exam. See, I, that really resonates with me, what you're saying, because I'm thinking about one of my students who was incredibly intelligent, like superstar. And she, um, and I still remember because she took her, um, and, and now at this time it was her step one exam. And she came to me and she said, oh, you know, I took my step one exam and I got a 255. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And I wasn't surprised at all because she is that level of smart. Um, but what she said next is what really shocked me because she said, you know, when I, um, when I first took this exam, I was getting a 210 and that's what blew me away because I knew she was incredibly smart. The 255 didn't surprise me at all. It was the 210 that shocked me. Mm -hmm. And so exactly what you're saying is that I don't think assessments, um, at first glance, um, they're working really hard to assess specific knowledge. But if you don't understand how the process works, um, you have that mismatch between your level of knowledge and intelligence and what the assessment um, and how the assess works. And I know, I guess you cannot redesign the OSMLE step two, but I guess your mission is to really unlock that for students then. That's exactly right. Uh, unlocking their ability to show what they know is what gave rise to MD2B diagnostic. So uh, working with Dr. Samir Desai, who you know as your co-author on um, The Successful Match, uh, he has been teaching 
and mentoring students for the past 20 some odd years. And he has noticed similar things to what you just uh, expressed. There are some students who um, don't do as well as you would expect them to on certain exams. Likewise, there are many cases where you have two students who have the same amount of knowledge. They're both very bright, very smart, very driven, uh, and yet they get widely different scores. And in some cases, the student can um, make adjustments and bring up their score from a 210 to a 255. Um, and in other cases, they just, they can't. And they don't have the insight. They don't understand what is blocking their performance, what is keeping them from being their optimal, uh, optimal test-taking selves. And so talking to Dr. Desai and uh, bringing in my background is what helped us come up with this idea for MD to be diagnostic. We want to help students and learners understand the things that are getting in their way. And, and we have um, testimonials, we have anecdotal evidence from our clients who have said things like, I, I was just so frustrated because I had no idea what I needed to change, or I didn't know what the number one most important thing to change was in my preparation. And it's that sense of frustration that gave rise to us being so encouraged to um, to build out this, this program, MD2B Diagnostic. Which is wonderful because I've had students who have also, um, who have struggled just the way um, that you're describing and to have something where they can unlock, um, really unleash that test performance on the day of. So I, I, I think I'd like to break this down into several episodes, but I'd like to come back to David um, and his journey, because I think, I know it's not one thing, but I know my listeners are going to be like, well, how did he do it? Um, can you tell me maybe the two or three most important things that you identified for David um, that helped him reach his test potential? Sure, absolutely. So um, the, the first step in our process is we have our client complete the Diagnostic Intake Assessment, the DIA, which is um, a comprehensive inventory that we developed, Dr. Desai and I developed, after doing a lot of research into the factors that can influence performance on um, the USMLE and COMLEX style exams. Um, and in the process of completing the DIA, the student or the learner does a lot of reflection. They have to answer questions that aren't all multiple choice. In some cases, they have to write out, what do you think um, worked best with your preparation for a previous exam? What do you think you would do differently on a previous exam? And using all of the information that we got from David, we were able to identify the fact that he was paying attention to covering the right number of questions in a session, there are many recommendations and they kind of all consistently say you should do at least one, sometimes two blocks of your world a day as you're preparing, as you're gearing up. Um, and David was speeding through the questions. He was finding the first answer that looked like the correct answer and selecting that and then moving forward. Um, okay. And so that was one area where we were able to say, okay, well, 
you, you should probably slow down and consider all of the answer choices because the way that these exams are written, you have to select the single best answer. And usually they're not trying to trick you, but you don't wanna just latch on to the one that you believe to be correct. You want to make sure that you are correctly excluding the answer choices that are incorrect and you want to understand why they are incorrect. So David was focusing on the wrong metric there. He was focusing on completion, time on task, and not on his actual comprehension of the deeper uh, topics, the deeper subject areas um, that the questions were asking about. And I have to say, especially because this is his preparation in UWorld, so you're, what you're talking about is really maximizing your learning from these practice test questions in UWorld, um, as opposed to just regarding it as something you have to get through. I think that's a really important point. Yes, and the, the second area where David um, was able to benefit, um, and we tried some things out. One of the, one of the uh, core principles of MDTB Diagnostic is that we try to help you as a person, as an individual. Uh, and so what works for you might not work for the next person and vice versa. And mm -hmm. so we found that um, David was not using Anki um, effectively. He tried to use it in the very beginning. It was overwhelming because he was using these huge, huge decks that are available um, <laughs> for 20,000 cards. Whoa. And there you run the risk of overlearning or getting a false sense of your, your content mastery because you're answering a bunch of questions that you know the answer to. And so we helped David identify a way to create Anki cards for himself based on the questions that he got wrong or when he got the question correct on UWorld, um, if there were answer choices that he didn't know for sure were incorrect, he went and he made notes about those topics as well so that the next time he came across that exact same topic, he was able to get it correct. Because even though it was incorrect on the first one, uh, on some other question later, that, that uh, diagnosis or that disease or disorder was the correct answer. And now because he had studied his Anki cards, he was able to answer those correctly. Okay, so very targeted use. Uh, well, I won't say targeted. I guess it's that some there's different ways of using those cards. And that's really interesting because there's so many decks that are available out there. Um, so it's really not about the decks. That's right. That's exactly right. It's how you use them. So I think that's really interesting, uh, Dr. Downey, because I uh, was just listening to another podcast that was talking about the fact that if you look at the top 10 tennis players in the world, if you look at the top 1000 tennis players in the world, they all have coaches. And, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but these are people who are really performing at a high level. And yet, I mean, there's some of the top players in the world and yet it's really helpful to them to have somebody who's looking and saying, okay, here's some adjustments that we can make to your stroke. Here's something that we can adjust with your serve. So I think it is really helpful for people to have that outside um, non-biased view into how you're performing. So I think this, um, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is the fact that you're taking a really customized tailored approach to each of your learners. Uh, because I, I 
when I think about how we all learn, um, I think that's something that's really interesting and extremely helpful. Have you noticed a lot of differences between your learners in terms of, because um, I think what you're really looking for is what are their strengths and what are their challenges? So have you noticed a lot of, uh, a lot of differences among your learners in that Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a great point. Thank you for, for pointing that out. It is part of, I mean, if you come from a background like I do, where I did a lot of research in psychology, you learn about individual differences. Um, you learn that some people prefer to learn in different ways. There's not a lot of evidence to support uh, the validity of learning styles per se, but if you prefer to learn in a certain way, you're going to be more engaged in learning that's done in that modality. Um, with this kind of background, I appreciated that everyone was coming to the table with different skills, different strengths, as you said, different areas for improvement. That's what our tool helps to point out. And Dr. Desai and I have been very careful in making sure that our recommendations are based on the literature, based on the science. Um, and what will help one person might not help another person. So we have to resort to some level of customization and personalization. Um, that is a very important element of what we think we offer as coaches or as, as, as a, a coach myself. Um, as you said, the, the, I really do like the sports metaphor because if you're going to train for a marathon or if you're going to try and become you know, a top seated tennis player, you're gonna look at every part of your life. You're gonna look at your diet, the amount of exercise, or what kind of drills should you be doing? I myself, uh, occasionally, when I'm, when I'm feeling uh, motivated, I try to do long distance swims in mm -hmm. Lake Tahoe or um, Lake Berryessa. And you don't just jump right into it and dog paddle your way. You have to think about your level of fitness. You have to think about how you're going to pace yourself. You have to ask people if your stroke is effective and efficient in the water. Um, and so this sports metaphor is very, uh, very, uh, very accurate for what we're talking about with preparing for an exam, because any one of these things, especially in combination with others, could contribute to uh, worsening behavior, and you wouldn't necessarily know why. So if you're burned out, you're not going to be able to internalize as well. If you're stressed, you're not going to be able to sleep. And we know that high quality sleep is critical for laying down those neural pathways uh, that come along with learning, especially when you're learning a lot at, at, at one time. So I do, I do very much like this uh, sports metaphor. And actually, as we're talking, I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of like the Olympics, because you have spent literally four years in medical school, like preparing for this one moment. Um, so you want to be as prepared as possible for that one moment, which is, I mean, I realize we're talking about an exam, but I really, um, I have a lot of feelings about the fact that it's all coming down to this one exam that could be a filter. And, and we have lots of other resources for people who have low USMLE exam scores. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all or nothing for our listeners, but I have to say it's definitely a lot easier 
if you right from the get-go get a high score that gets you past the filter. So it's wonderful to have resources um, that can help our students with that, Dr. Downey. Now, um, I know that you have a blog, and so you do write about study techniques um, for people who are taking the USMLE Step 1, USMLE Step 2, the Comlex, um, right? You have resources okay. for that. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you if they'd like to read more? So we have a, um, a webpage, md2bdiagnostic.com. So it's md2bdiagnostic, all one word, dot com. And the blogs page is just forward slash blogs um, as the extension to that URL. Okay. And if a student wanted to work with you, would they reach out to you via the website? Yes, we, we have a contact form, contact us form on the website. We also have a Facebook page that they can uh, contact us through. And we also have an Instagram page where we can receive messages. Okay, wonderful. Well, Dr. Downey, this was so interesting. And I'm going to, I think what we'll do is set up a few follow-up episodes to, I'd really like to delve a little bit deeper into some of your recommendations on study techniques and preparation. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>